Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. You know, Arch, I never met so many stupid people in one day. Ugly, too. Touchstone Films presents Kirk Douglas. I'm Archie Long. Burt Lancaster. My name is Harry Doyle. In Tough Guys. He's 72. I'm 67, and these ain't disguises. They've been in prison since 1956. I want to cry chicken McNuggets. Now they're out, and things have changed. Men have changed. Shall we? Shall we what? Women have changed. What are you doing? I'm the man. I'm supposed to do that. Music has changed. Workouts have changed. The old gang has changed. What? The old neighborhood has changed. Ah! The only thing that hasn't changed are Harry and Archie. Stop waving that gun in my face. Who's going to make me grandpa? You're the last of your kind. We are. All they want is respect. The great Archie Long, working as a busboy. All they get are rules. If you don't eat your food, Mr. Doyle, I'm going to be very upset. All they can do is break them. I don't want to fit in anymore. That makes two of us. Real food! Real food! Real food! Let's go back to doing something we really like doing. Like Robin and stealing. You can start by giving him your gun. Together we can do anything. Your trains being robbed. They're crazy. Nobody robs trains anymore. I'd say you've been missing for. to Mexico. The tracks don't go to Mexico. Nothing's gonna stop us. Kirk Douglas, Burt Lancaster, friends for years, legends for life, tough guys forever. When this is over, you two guys are dead meat. We got a deal, right? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Tough Guys from 1986. The studio Touchdown Pictures release date October 3rd, 1986. The running time, 104 minutes, and it's rated PG. The budget was $10 million, and the box office took in $21.4 million, making it the 43rd ranked movie of 1986. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 57% rotten from 14 reviews. Can't really go by 14 reviews, now can you? But you can listen to Roger Ebert, who at the time gave it 2 out of 4 stars. I think that's too low, but let's read his review anyway. Watching Tough Guys, you begin to meditate. You look at Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster, and you remember years and years of movie going. When you were a kid, they were the embodiment of heroism and charm and strength. And then comes this movie, where they play guys 67 and 72 years old. And who, for that matter, is that middle-aged guy in the audit sitting in your seat? 
Tough Guys is the story of the last two train robbers in America who stuck up a train in 1956 and were put away for 30 years. Now they're back on the street again, two old ex-cons trying to go straight and preserve a certain level of self-respect. These guys are not just any old cons, however, and that's the basic flaw in this movie. They're both living legends, and they know it. The opening shots of the movie establish the tone. In the prison cell, Douglas is pumping iron. He has his shirt off, and good lord, he's got muscles like Sylvester Stallone. Douglas may be the first male movie star in history willing to be photographed bare-chested in his late 60s. He and Lancaster put on their carefully preserved, tailor-made suits, position their fedoras on their heads, and walk out of the prison gates. Then, for the next hour, we see them in a series of scenes designed to demonstrate that they've still got the stuff. Tough Guys might have been better if Douglas and Lancaster had played characters who were a little bit more fallible, humble, and realistic. For example, we don't need the scene where they beat up a gang of muggers in an alley. I disagree with that. We don't need their utter cool and total confidence in the face of all dangers. Maybe if they were scared or uncertain or filled with self-doubt, we might like them more. Since they waltz through everything, there's no suspense. Since their victories seem inevitable, they generate no joy. The movie is further muddled by the introduction of two unnecessary supporting characters. Charles Durning plays the cop who arrested them 30 years ago. And Eli Wallach, in an utterly thankless role, plays a nearsighted old hitman. Wallach's scenes are awkward, would-be physical comedy, and there are such long time gaps between his appearances. Tough Guys might have seemed like a good idea for a movie. It certainly reminds us of what Giants Lancaster and Douglas were, and are. But precisely because they have paid so many dues, and bring so many of our memories to all the roles they play, they deserve something better than this. The movie makes the same mistake as some of the characters in it. It treats these two guys like lovable old characters instead of listening to what they really have to say. And that's the end of Beaver's Review. Now I think this is a perfect example of the age difference of viewers when watching a film for the first time. For me, this would be the very first film I would see both of the screen legends of Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas, so I didn't have a reference point for older viewers like Roger Ebert. For me, this was a super fun film, and the fact that these two legendary actors happened to be in the film didn't add or subtract from the film at the time for me. Now, watching the film 30 years later, I still get great enjoyment of watching it even after seeing Lancaster and Douglas in their best-known earlier films. And I remember being super excited when Tough Guys was finally released to DVD in 2017, after years of waiting. Alright, let's get into the main cast. Of course, it's Burt Lancaster, who plays Harry Doyle. Now, I could do a full episode on both Lancaster and Kirk Douglas, so instead, I'm just going to run down their most well-known films throughout their career. And if you're a film buff, I recommend checking out all of them. You have The Killers, which was his film debut, and also episode 160 on Damn Good Movie Memories. He was in Brute Force, Sorry Wrong Number, Criss Cross, Jim Thorpe All-American, From Here to Eternity, Gunfight at OK Corral, also with Kirk Douglas, Sweet Smell of Success, Run Silent, Run Deep, Elmer Gantry, which he won an Oscar for, Judgment at Nuremberg, Birdman of Alcatraz, Seven Days in May, also with Kirk Douglas, The Swimmer, and Atlantic City. Kirk Douglas plays Archie Long. Now, I discovered Kirk because of his son, Michael Douglas. Good acting lineage there. For Douglas, his film highlights include Champion, Ace in the Hole, Detective Story, The Bad and the Beautiful, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Lust for Life, where he played Vincent Van Gogh, I mentioned Gunfight at OK Corral, Pass of Glory, The Vikings, Spartacus, 
Seven Days in May with Bro Lancaster, and In Harm's Way, and he never won an Oscar. Lancaster and Douglas made seven films together. The director, Jeff Canoe. For a nice block of the 80s, Canoe directed some of my favorite films. He did Revenge of the Nerds, Gotcha, Tough Guys, Troop Beverly Hills, and V.I. Warshawski with Kathleen Turner. Again, this is a great supporting cast. Ebert mentioned Eli Wallach and Charles Durning, but it's all it also has Dana Carvey and Alexis Smith. All right, let's get into the making of the films. So the screenwriters, James Cruikshank and James Orr, were watching the Academy Awards a year prior to writing Tough Guys, and they saw Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas presenting and thought it would be great to write a movie around them as friends. Director Jeff Canoe gave the script to Kirk Douglas. Douglas loved it and wanted to do it. He then gave the script to Lancaster... He was into, and off they went. And speaking of that 1985 Oscars appearance, here it is, also with Michael Douglas. Now, the beginning part are quips from their early appearances over the years. Here uh, to present the Screenplay Awards are two gentlemen who last performed for Oscar 27 years ago. I'm pleased and very proud to say that I've known them both all my life, one perhaps a little bit longer. Mr. Burt Lancaster, Mr. Kirk Douglas. Well, I guess, Kirk, you haven't been nominated this year. No, you haven't been either, Kirk. Congratulations. Great. And anyone who says it's nothing's just a snob. <laughs> no fellas who want it just can't get a job. We'll take our chances <laughs> if some producer can hear. It's great not to be nominated, great not to be nominated. Find us something more. Tell me, who are those kids? Child actors, obviously. <laughs> can you seriously, Bert, can you believe we were ever that age? I can't believe on this one. Uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, please. You know, if I knew he was going to do so well, I'd have been much nicer to him when he was little. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> Here you go, Bert. The five nominated best screenplays written directly for the screen testify to the imagination and invention of the screenwriter. They deal with life on both sides of the law. Life on the East Coast, life on the West, and at one point in between. Life on the land and love under the sea. They are Beverly Hills Cop, screenplay by Daniel Petrie Jr., story by Danilo Bach and Daniel Petrie Jr. 
Broadway Danny Rose, written by Woody Allen. El Norte, screenplay by Gregory Nava and Anna Thomas. Places in the Heart, written by Robert Benton. Splash, screenplay by Lowell Gantz, Babalu Mandel, and Bruce J. Friedman. Screen story by Bruce J. Friedman, based on a story by Brian Grazer. And it's written that the winner is... The winner is Robert Benton for Places in the Heart. Canoe saw Tough Guys as sort of a modern-day Butch Cassidy in The Sundance Kid. Jim Carrey actually auditioned for the Richie character, but Dana Carvey had more of a genuineness and sincerity needed for the Richie part, and ultimately he landed the role. And it's true, Carvey obviously had the ability to be crazy on screen with characters, but he's totally subdued for the part in Tough Guys, which works well for the character that he needed to be. For the part of Leon, which ultimately went to Eli Wallach, Jeff Canoe originally had Adolf Caesar in the role. He played a, he was in a soldier story in The Color Purple. But sadly, on his first day of shooting, he had a heart attack in his trailer on set and died. And they had to recast in just a day. And Eli Wallach was available, and he wanted to work with Lancaster and Douglas. Ernest Borgnine was one of the choices to play Sergeant Leblonsky, which eventually went to Charles Durning. Okay, let's get into the film. So the opening credits is a montage of vintage belongings from the two main characters who lived in the 1940s and the 1950s, while the song, They Don't Make Them Like They Used To, is sung by Kenny Rogers. The song was actually written by Burt Bacharach. Now, Jeff Canoe wanted Bacharach to do the entire score of the film, but Disney wouldn't give Bacharach the publishing. So that fell through, unfortunately. Interestingly enough, the same song was recorded by Smokey Robinson and Gladys Knight. But only the Kenny Rogers version was put out as a single by the record label, so that's why his version made the film. So after serving a 30-year prison sentence for a train robbery that netted $450,000, Harry Doyle, Burr Lancaster, and Archie Long, Kirk Douglas, are finally being released from prison. Harry is 72 and Archie is 67, and both men are in very good shape, though Archie is a fitness nut and he's still ripped for his age, or for any age of that matter, just like Ebert said. The two shared the same cell for all those years in prison, and the two guys are still the bestest of friends, but they still get on each other's nerves. Harry listens to his old scratchy records, which annoys Archie, while Harry gets annoyed by Archie's clanging of his barbells. As Eber mentioned, they both leave prison in their vintage suits, which makes them look like old-time gangsters. They discover the Gold Coast Flyer train they robbed is being retired, and both are disappointed neither one of their names made the paper. Harry and Archie then meet their parole officer, Richie Evans, played by Dana Carvey. Doyle and Archie Long? Maybe. Who wants to know? I'm Richie Evans. I've been looking forward to meeting you guys for a long time. You've been looking forward to meeting us? Why is that, son? I'm your probation officer. Probation officer? You always meet parolees at the prison gate? Well, not ordinarily, but... You guys are not ordinary parolees. Yeah? You're the best there ever was. I know everything about you guys. My master's thesis was about the great outlaws of the 20th century. Um, Dillinger, Capone, Pretty Boy Floyd. When I heard you guys were coming up for parole, I actually asked for your cases. You did? You're the last of your kind. We are. 
I can tell you stories. That's all in the past, son. Uh, we're fully rehabilitated now. Yeah. That's right. Anyway, I, I thought you guys might need a lift, and that's why I came out here today. It's real nice of you, Mr. Evans. <laughs> you call me Red Sheep, okay? <laughs> okay, Richie. I'll go get the car, and uh, you guys wait here. I'll be right back. Great beginning, Arch. Gee, things are looking up already. So Richie goes to get his car. Another car drives up, and an older man named Leon B. Little, <laughs> played by Eli Wallach, asks if they are Harry Doyle and Archie Long. And they say they've got a fan club and confirm that, yes, they are them. <laughs> Leon then pulls out a shotgun and starts firing. <laughs> this will be an ongoing gag throughout the film. Leon is kind of like the Carrie Fisher character in The Blues Brothers. Luckily for Harry and Archie, Leon loses his glasses after the shotgun blast and can't see, and they escape. In another funny scene, Archie convinces Richie to let him drive, as Harry consoles Richie by saying Archie hasn't been in an accident in 30 years. And think about it, seatbelts didn't even exist when they were last driving. So Archie puts both the driver and passenger belts on each arm. (laughs) And then the car talks to him about fuel economy, to which Archie replies, How do you shut this broad up? (laughs) Jeff Canoe added the little talking car part since it was a little bit ahead of its time, but the scene still works great. At the police station, an older sergeant named Deke Yablonski, played by Charles Durning, discovers that Harry and Archie have been released. He now thinks they're going to go back to their life of crime, though nobody on the force cares since now they're senior citizens. Yablonski is the one that busted them and put them in prison 30 years prior. Harry and Archie head to the bank to cash their checks from being paroled. They're both amazed about the security cameras around the bank. Harry has no picture ID since his last driver's license wasn't actually issued with pictures on them. And no matter where they go, trouble finds them. Okay, it's a hold up! Somebody down! On the floor! Let's move! Let's sit down! What's the matter? Don't you speak the language, asshole? Don't you curse me, boy. Curse you, Pops. I'm gonna blow your head off. Stop waving that gun in my face. Who's gonna make me, Grandpa? I am! Let him go! I said let him go! I'll kill you, man! I was only kidding, Grandpa. Let me go! Grandpa, huh? What are you gonna do with Harry? I wanna blow his head off. You don't wanna do that. He was disrespectful to me. But you just had your suit clean. You get brains all over it. This punk don't have any brains. Yeah, but there'll be blood, all red and sticky. Yeah, it'll be messy. Get him up. Okay. Oh. This guy's in the wrong business. They don't make crooks like they used to. It's amazing. I, ju- I just can't believe the way you handle these guys. Ah, uh, just doing what comes naturally. You're incredible. Now, how about cashing that check, sir? Yes, Mr. Doyle. Richie then explains to Harry and Archie the guidelines for their probation. The biggest shock to them is they're not allowed to see each other for three years due to the nature of the crime. Archie is given a job and a place to stay at a welfare hotel while he gets back on his feet. And since Harry is 72, he's placed into a retirement home and will collect Social Security. Harry says he wants to work like Archie, but the rules state once they turn 72, that's no longer possible for parolees. Harry decides to sit in the park for a bit, but is hassled by a cop walking the beat for loitering. 
Harry gets the last laugh because the bird Harry was waiting for to sing ends up shitting on the cop. <laughs> Arch, in the meantime, goes to a local bar where he used to hang out at, and he gets a surprise. dead for about 20 years. Think he's dead? What happened? Well, I wouldn't know. That's a little before my time. What can I get for you, sir? Yeah, I have one of those uh, light beers I heard about. He's dead. There you go. Tastes watery. But it's only 95 calories. Would you like another? I'll buy. Well, that's damn nice of you, pal. Don't mind if I do. Don't you love this music? Who doesn't? Well, some people think it's out of date. Are you kidding? I grew up on that music. Great dance music. Yeah. I haven't danced in 30 years. Shall we? Shall we what? Shall we dance? you're going straight to the home. I thought you were going straight to your hotel. Come on, I'll buy you a drink. Wait a minute. You don't want to go in there. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. Ah, lovers quarrel. It breaks my heart. Turn around, worm food. Start walking. And don't try anything stupid or you die right here. And don't let the goggles fool you. Buster, I'm a shop. Yep. Their favorite bar is now a gay bar. <laughs> and the old Leon has caught up with them again, along with some other delightful young folks from the old neighborhood. All right, turn here. Turn. What the hell is this, a parade? Where are we going, friend? We're going up this alley, friends. And then what? And then I'm coming out. Alone. Excuse me. I asked you, um, where you was going, man. 
going down this street. Uh, and we don't want any trouble. So I suggest you let us pass. Hmm? This street, bro? Yeah, this street. The fact is, that doesn't be a private street. It costs the sawbuck to walk down this street. A sawbuck? All right, then we'll go back. But you don't understand. You already own the street. And once you own the street, you gotta pay the tax. That's right. You know, Arch, I never met so many stupid people in one day. Ugly, too. Okay, Pops. I don't know how old you is, but you ain't getting any older. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This ain't a fair fight. Look, there's six of you. Only two of us. And, and you got knives, and, and, and we got nothing. But that's how we win. We live in this neighborhood. There are rules to street fighting. Rules? Yeah. Like what kind of rules? For one thing, you couldn't do this. Uh, this. Uh, you do this. Now, has everyone got the rules straight? They don't know shit about street fighting. What's the matter? Never hurt like this before. Now, while Eber didn't like it, I always loved that scene as a kid. My friends and I would always quote the rules scene, especially when Archie kicks the guy in the nuts. We go back to the police station. Yablonski is ironically going through the same old age rhetoric as Harry and Archie. He's no longer a street cop, but has been put out to pasture in the records department, which bores him to death, and it's all computerized, which he is slow to learn. However, he knows that Archie and Harry will likely try for one last big score, but Yablonski's captain just doesn't want to hear about it. Archie, in the meantime, deals with the rude hotel clerk as only he can. Hey, pal. What makes you think I did time for stealing? Okay, wise guy. What's your claim to fame? I killed six people with an axe. Just like that one. Don't worry. Doctor says I'm getting much better. <laughs> so Harry, at the retirement home, starts a mini revolt when he won't eat his spinach souffle. And he starts a chant in the cafeteria of, We want real food! All the while, Howard, played by Jake Steinfeld, remember Body by Jake? Watches in anger. So we go back to Archie, who is hilariously working at a frozen yogurt shop and he must wear a penguin hat as part of his uniform. <laughs> to make matters worse, he has to serve annoying kids, like this one. What'll be, sport? Let me have a strawberry yogurt. Coming right up. No, chocolate. No, strawberry. Now look, kid, take your time and make up your mind. I have made up my mind. Well, what do you want, strawberry or chocolate? Amaretto. Hey, that's gelati. I asked you for yogurt. Boob. This difference looks the same to me. Gelati's made out of cream. Yogurt's made out of bacteria culture. Where have you been? Cave? That'll be a buck sixty. What's the matter? What about my toppings? Supposed to ask me what kind of toppings I want on. What kind of toppings you want? Do you have peanut M&Ms? 
I didn't say I wanted M&M's. I just asked if you had any. Yeah, we got them. Well, I don't want them. Uh, do you have Oreo pieces? You want them? That's why I asked. And, uh, and walnuts. And walnuts, too. No, not peanuts. Walnuts. And uh, jelly beans. No, not M&M's. I hate M&M's. Jelly beans. And almond slices instead of walnuts. Okay. Forget it. I'll just have it plain. Sure you still want it? Of course I do. What do you think I came in here for? Got it, kid. <laughs> I think every food service worker has wanted to chuck a bowl of something at an annoying customer like Archie did. But the best part of the scene is before Archie chucks the yogurt in the kid's face is when he asks for it plain. Archie just brushes it off the toppings with his bare hand instead of getting a new bowl. <laughs> but had a tough time in COVID times. So even though Harry isn't making any friends with the retirement home staff, he does meet a woman from his past named Belle, played by Alexis Smith, who teaches aerobics at the home, which pays for her room and board. Debbie Reynolds and Ruth Roman were considered for the part of Belle. After getting fired from the yogurt joint, Archie decides to go to a gym, which is not the same as what he was used to, but he does enjoy watching all the women in leotards in their aerobics classes. Archie hilariously can't figure out any of the new weight machines, and much to the amusement of Sky, played by Darlene Flugel, who runs the gym. However, Archie has a charming way about him, and he's in excellent shape for being 67, and he inadvertently makes her laugh when she asks if he's gay, since the majority of the male clientele is gay. And Archie deadpans, how could he be gay? He just lost his job. <laughs> yes, kids, the phrase gay used to mean happy way back when. So Fran Dresser... Jennifer Tilly, Trudy Styler, that's uh, Sting's wife, they actually all auditioned for the role of Sky. Jeff Canoe really wanted Darlene Flugel to take the part, even if it was relatively small, but her agent kept, her, kept telling her not to take it, so she ended up firing her agent, and she took the part. Anyway, back to the movie. Sky invites Archie to a dance club that night, and he accepts and asks what he should wear, and she simply says, just look hot. <laughs> so it's time to go glow shopping. 80s style, of course. Do you remember when men wore skirts and get the ties like a jealous blood and calico and a brocade shirt? So Are you talking to me? There's nobody else here. I'm Derek. Can I help you? Well, I need something to wear. I need more information. Like what? Color, style, function. I got a date. Male, female. <laughs> I got a date with a gorgeous broad. Thank you. Evening, morning, formal. 
casual. Please, be as specific as possible. Chainsaw, Spring Street, 10 p.m. She said, look hot. How about something in blue? Blue is cold, sir. Red is hot. Okay. Something in red. We don't carry red, sir. Our colors are peach, lime, cherry, mocha, almond, and avocado. Hey, I don't want to eat the suit. I just want to wear it. <laughs> One moment, sir. So the last clip doesn't do it justice, but Derek the clerk helping Archie is talking through a television. And Derek's look is, well, think the band Culture Club and Boy George, while his hair is slicked down with one clump straight up like a reverse mohawk, like Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. And the outfits that Derek and has Archie try on are absolutely ridiculous. Probably something that Michael Jackson would have worn at the time. Finally, Archie gets somewhat of a regular suit, but it still has bright colors, at least. It's hot enough. So both Harry and Archie have dates. Harry takes Belle to a traditional suit and tie restaurant like back in the old days. While Archie meets Skye at the Chainsaw, which is a club where we get to see an early version of the original lineup of the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Hoel Slovak on guitar. And they perform a song called Set It Straight, which appears exclusively in this film, crazily enough. I guarantee this is the first time I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers, even though I didn't even realize it at the time. Oh, just something I had lying around. Because of you, there's a song in my heart. Because of you, my romance had its start. Because Jimmy Lennon, good old Jimmy. Still sounds pretty good, don't you think? Sounds good to me. Well, the food ain't bad, and the uh, champagne's good. The company's swell. Best things never change. Chichi. How about a dance? Love it. Alliance of the fires till the day we die. And Island of the Violence needs to terrorize from the Suez. What's the name of that band? The Red Hot Chili Peppers. You like them? Yeah, I got all the albums. <laughs> 
I love that one dude tries to slam dance with Archie, and Archie just punches him out. So as it turns out, both guys end up getting lucky in their own humorous ways. The manager catches Harry and Belle having drinks in Harry's room. When the manager asks, what's going on? Harry replies, nothing. Yet. And for Archie, well, Skye can't get enough of him and goes multiple rounds with her. It's so nuts for him, he calls Harry to tell him about it when she's in the other room for a moment. <laughs> in the meantime, Richie has his hands full with Harry and Archie. He has to talk with Harry at the probation office about being disruptive in the retirement home. Essentially, Harry isn't doing anything wrong, but society says once you hit a certain age, you're supposed to stop living. And that's something Harry can't and won't accept. As for Archie, Richie gets him another job, this time as a busboy in a trendy restaurant. And it goes about as well as the yogurt shop. Excuse me, I could use some water. You know, H2O, it's not too much trouble right now. Uh, yo, Pop, uh, how about that bread we ordered about 20 minutes ago, huh? Chop, chop. I did it. Right. What did they dig this guy out of? Huh? Have you cleared table five yet? I got people waiting. I'm just getting to it. Well, come on, let's move it, move it. This is not a restaurant. We got a job to do. Yes, ma'am. That is how you quit a job. By the way, he stabbed the steak knife on the table using the guy's tie. Now, prior to getting fired, Yablonski played Archie a visit and basically taunted him for being a busboy. Both guys just can't fit in and don't want to play by the rules. And as much as Sky is lots of fun, Archie finally realizes he just can't keep up with her. She understands, but is saddened by his choice. And Harry just can't adjust to being treated like an invalid in the retirement home. Couldn't take it anymore. People treat me like dirt ever since I got out of jail. Sweeping out toilets, scraping crud off dishes. <laughs> My girlfriend trying to kill me with sex. And I'm dressing like Bozo the Clown, just to fit in. I don't want to fit in anymore. Okay, so what's going to happen? 
Does Leo ever catch up with the guys? Does Leo Blonsky push them back into their old lifestyle? It's all answered in the final action-packed and hilarious 40 minutes. And the ending is perfect. This is really a forgotten gem from in the twilight of the careers of two of the best actors of all time. Plus, having Eli Wallach in a hilarious supporting role is perfect. If you miss Tough Guys, definitely check it out. It's a fun ride. And for the ending credits, you get Tough Enough from the Fabulous Thunderbirds. All right, some fun facts. So this is sort of a spoiler, but it's such a good story, it's worth mentioning. Towards the end of the film, Kirk Douglas moons Charles Durning while a police helicopter hovers over a moving train that Douglas is on top of. This scene was all of Douglas' idea after he was watching a news report about Chicago Bears quarterback at the time, Jim McMahon, and him mooning reporters after practice one day. Now keep in mind, the Bears had just won the Super Bowl at the time of the filming of this movie, back in 1985. Unsurprisingly, Burt Lancaster wasn't a fan of the mooning scene. (laughs) The characters in the film were much like their real-life personas. So then U.S. President Ronald Reagan viewed this film at Camp David in September of 1986. Ronald Reagan, the actor. Filming was very difficult for the 71-year-old Burt Lancaster because he had undergone a quadruple heart bypass operation two years earlier, and there was some question as to whether he could even get insurance for this film. Huge cue cards were necessary on the set to help Burt Lancaster's fading memory, and he also had problems trying to read those cards. In any case, I love this movie, I still love this movie, and if you're a fan of classic Hollywood, I think this is fun, it's kind of modernized to be in the 80s, so you'll enjoy it. It's a good ride, you can have it on at any time. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.